All right, thank you so much. I, I love the song that Daniel and Claudia sang, and I, that's just a blessed song. I want you to take your Bibles and share with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. See if you can find Hebrews over there in the back of your Bible. All right, Hebrews chapter 6. You ever heard of an anchor? Okay, well, it's something that you use. Use it on a boat. And uh, we're going to talk about, we're talking about there's an anchor. We're going to start a new series today. We're going, to, there's, we're going to look at the anchor in the Bible here. Do you know what an anchor does? An anchor holds you steady in the storm. An anchor is what protects you. You have to have an anchor, especially if you're going to fish on the ocean. I believe the year was 2009 when four men, two of them are professional football players, left the east, excuse me, the west coast of Florida to go fishing for a day in the Gulf of Mexico there. They were new at it. They just bought the boat. They didn't really know what they were doing. And uh, they took that boat and they went out about 60 nautical miles, which would be 72 or three automobile miles, linear miles. And uh, they got out there and a storm came up and they were in trouble because the boat wasn't big enough for the storm not to handle it well. But they did know this. They knew this. If we can get this anchor down and we can get this anchor to hold, we'll be okay. In, in a storm in the ocean, if you're in a boat and it gets fierce, you have to anchor the boat because if, if you can keep the nose of the boat, the bow of the boat, if you can keep it into the waves and into the wind, you'll be all right. It's going to be a rough ride, but you can live. But if that anchor doesn't hold and that boat turns sideways, you're going over. The, you know, the waves, I think, were 12, 14 foot high that day out there. It was very dangerous. And they, they, they couldn't get their anchor to stick. They did. And then a guy got to messing with it, didn't really know what he was doing. And uh, they just couldn't, the anchor didn't hold. And of course, the boat capsized 48 hours later when the Coast Guard finally found them. Three of those guys had uh, succumbed to hypothermia and died. Only one was alive. If that anchor to hell, they'd be alive today. Then was anchors are very important. And the Bible talks about anchors often. We're going to look today at the anchor verse. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this. Hebrews 6, verse 19. The Bible says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure, steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. You see where the Bible talks about an anchor for your soul? Let me tell you something. Your soul needs an anchor. Uh, let me, I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. See if you agree with me. Do you notice it says an anchor for your soul? It doesn't say an anchor for your head. This is not intelligence. This is not knowledge. This is something for your heart. Your heart needs an anchor in difficult times. It is my humble opinion. I want you to see if you agree with me over this. In America right now, we're so proud of the information age. God bless you. I'm convinced we are a land that is drowning in information and we are starving for inspiration. We have been washed away with knowledge, but our hearts are shriveled up. And the great need today is not of more information. How many of you really need to know more? More than I need another lesson or more knowledge, I need encouragement and strength and hope. Our heads are full, but our hearts are hurting. And I want you to notice in this passage, he talks about an anchor for the soul. And we've turned our churches into places of knowledge and that's good. We should teach, but you need more than a lot of stuff in your head. Your heart needs to be strengthened. That's why the Bible talks this hope we have as an anchor for the soul. Well, what does an anchor do? 
You, you got to learn to get an anchor for your soul and hang on to it. Let me tell you something about this book right here. This book is truth and there's tremendous knowledge. The knowledge of the ages is in this book and it's truth. Listen to me, dear ones. This book is supposed to be more than just knowledge to you. This book is supposed to be more than truth. This book is supposed to be food for your heart. This book is supposed to strengthen your heart. And I want you, we're going to take some time. You've heard this, an old Chinese proverb goes like this. Give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, you'll feed him the rest of his life. All right, we're going to spend several weeks. I'm going to teach you how to fish. I want to teach you how to take this word and strengthen your heart. What did the Bible mean? What did David mean when he said in Psalm 119, my soul melts for heaviness. You ever been there? You ever been there where you, you had an education, you might have had a college degree, but you were so discouraged and, and you just want, it was so difficult. My soul melts for heaviness. Listen to the rest of that verse. My soul melts for heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. And he knew that when I get discouraged, when I lose hope, when it doesn't look good, I need to know how to go to this word and let God speak to my heart. Demons is not just enough to get information. It's not, it's not enough to know thou shalt not steal, although thou shalt not steal. Got me? I need not to take this book and get alone and say, help me. Speak to my heart. Strengthen my heart. And that's why the Bible teaches you and I. I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to quote to you out of Isaiah chapter 40. See what it sounds like to you. <clears throat> Talking about weariness and struggling. He said, uh, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never gets tired, never gets weary, never struggles? He gives power to the weak. Yes. To those who have no might, he increases their strength. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like an eagle. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. What does that mean? There's got to be some way that I can go to God. Listen, I'm a Christian. I'm not in sin. You can, be, you can love God and be doing right and be, as, and be discouraged, be lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. Discouragement and, and hopelessness is becoming the caricature of the hour today. But I'm going to tell you something. God is not weary and he doesn't faint. And he's willing to share his grace with you. But we've got to learn how to take this word and get alone and say, help me. King David himself, one time he came back, he'd been on a raid, came back, he and his men, and they found out that while they were away, their city had been attacked. Ziklag had been attacked. It'd been burned to the ground. Their wives and children had been stolen. And they were so discouraged. And then the men turned on him and spoke of killing him. God only knows what's happening to my wife and children. Now my friends want to kill me. But listen to what he did. He didn't chase them. The Bible said David turned aside and strengthened himself in the Lord before he went after his enemies. We have got to learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and, and learn there's a Holy Spirit power that can strengthen this heart. You need an anchor for your soul. You need strength down here. I know people that have got PhDs in religion that want to quit. It's not knowledge. It's not information. It's inspiration. We live out of strength, not wisdom and not knowledge. All right. So the Bible talks about this. Uh, you need anchors for your soul. Uh, one of the great verses that I love, Psalm, excuse me, uh, Acts 27, 29 says this. They were in a storm one day, a great storm, and all hope was lost that we'd be saved. Listen to what they did. We threw out four anchors 
and prayed for daylight to come. You ever been there? I'm going to throw, throw out a prayer anchor and hope something good happens. Well, dear ones, there are anchor passages in the Bible. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. There are passages in the Bible that you need to become very familiar with that you turn to when you, I turn to them whether I'm needing anything or not. I just love to eat. This word says this is food for my soul. And uh, listen, I don't care. You can go home and eat Thanksgiving style dinner this afternoon. By Tuesday, you'll be hungry again. You need to learn to feed on God's word, not just learn it. You need to feed on it. And I'm going to give you some passages that we're going to use. And these are passages I want you to become familiar with. As I give them to you, I want you to turn to the front page of your Bible and write them down. But through the weeks, just write them down. And that way you'll know. Let me sit. Now, listen, listen, I study the Bible. I read it. I have a systematic program that I go through. I read from the Psalms. I read from the Proverbs. I read from the New Testament. I go through that. But I got certain passages I love to just turn to and go, whoo, yeah. I, I got certain passages I just love to chew on and they bless my heart. And I'm going to tell you something. These passages will shut hell's mouth in your life. They will silence the enemy. Guess what truth does to you? The truth will set you free. Dear ones, it's not knowing God's word that helps your heart. It's feeding on it over and over and over. Turn with me to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight is the first one we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at Romans chapter eight today. I'm going to give you a part of a part of this chapter. This is the great passage. And uh, the chap, this is the passage entitled, what in the world is God doing? How many of you ever done? How many of you ever either prayed this or you thought it? Where are you at? Where is God? We're at, people are looking at our nation right now, the mess going on in the nation and, and wondering where's he at? Well, let's find out where he is. There's only one place you can learn the truth from, network news. There's a reason the Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, waves. There's only one place you can get the pure truth from and that is in this book, the truth of God's word. And I, I've been eating this passage. I've read this 500 times, I bet. One of my all-time favorites. And this is the passage of encouragement that talks about what God is doing today. What he's doing today. Let's begin in verse 26. All right. The Bible says this, verse Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. Let's just stop right there. Now, if you're one of them people, you say, well, I don't have no weakness and I don't need no help. Bless your heart, you just need to tune me out the rest of the day, I guess. Why would the Bible, I want you to listen to what the Bible said about me. The Spirit helps in our weakness. Does anybody here ever have a need? All right, the Spirit will help in our weakness. So that's, um, who is this Spirit guy? Dear ones, do not be bothered by the Holy Spirit of Jesus. He is Jesus. God Almighty is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. They're three people. All three of them are referred to as hymns, H-I-M, in the Bible. Somebody said, may, may say something like this. You know, we had the most wonderful worship service. I just felt Jesus in the building. That, that's okay. What you really felt was the Holy Spirit. And now don't, don't cut. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't here. Jesus wasn't here. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. They are one and you cannot explain the Trinity. But it was God the Father seated on his throne. The son Jesus is seated beside him. 
The Holy Spirit is God working in the earth today, helping people. And tell me what the Holy Spirit, I want you to connect two words in there. Tell me what the Holy Spirit does. Likewise, the Spirit helps. All right, the Spirit, tell me what the Holy Spirit's job is to, okay, you got it, got it. So I could like call him my helper. Now we cook him with peanut oil. All right, listen to me. To hold your finger, turn back one book to John, two books, John chapter 14. I want you to see the promise of Jesus. John 14 says this. All right, John 14, I don't know if you're familiar or not. This is where Jesus is fixing to leave the earth. He's been here, he's ministered, he's shown the presence of God, he's done wonderful things. He, he's fixing to leave and everybody is so upset, his, his followers are so upset because they said, well, well, you told us you would stay with us forever. And now you're leaving us? And they're really upset because you just told them, I'm fixing to leave you. I right, watch what he says to them in verse 16, John 14, 16. I'm going to pray to the Father. He will give you another helper. Guess who that helper is? That's the Holy Spirit. See the word helper? Now we don't need to spend much time on Greek words here, but it's very important that you get this one. That Greek word in the, in the original Testament, it says, I'll give you another parakleta or paraclete, paraklase. You know, let me help you. Paraclete is two words jammed together. Para means beside. We have parallel bars. That means they're beside each other. Clear, clear, clitase means to speak encouragement. All right, you got it? He said, I'm going to give you another somebody to walk beside you and talk encouragement to you. The name of the Holy Spirit is to be beside you. He'll walk with you through life. He'll talk to you and it will do what? It'll beat you up. It'll make you feel so bad about yourself. No, if you help somebody, have you raised them up or have you beat them up? I'll give you another helper. Watch this, verse 16. I'll give you another helper. He'll give you a helper. He may abide with you forever, forever. Tell me where the Holy Spirit is. My body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's right with me all the time. I'm not always aware of him. I could be if I wanted to be because you can stir up the gift of God that's within you. But tell me what the Holy Spirit's job is to help me, to walk beside me, to talk to me and encourage me. Let me tell you something. I know this man. And by the way, he's not a it. No more than I'm a it or you a it. That's why he, when he has come, he's a he. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I know about the Holy Spirit. I've gotten to know him. He's the most encouraging human being I've met on this planet. I mean, he makes Joel Osteen look like Edgar Allan Poe on Downers. I'm mean, this guy. He can build you up. He's, he just, he speaks and you go, do, 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 do. I mean, he just, that's who he is. He is the paraclete. He's also called the comforter. He's called the helper. But he, he, Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you somebody. And he's going to help you. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 8. All right. Likewise, the Spirit, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. All right, watch what he does. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. You agree or disagree? How many of you went to pray for your teenage child, didn't even know what to ask for? Cut their tongue out, God. I mean, you didn't know what to. How many ever just tried to pray? How many of you ever just tried to pray and you just were beating around the bush? And you didn't know what to say. You didn't, you didn't know what people needed. And even worse than that, you you thought you did, but you didn't. 
None of us know what the best plan is. So how can I pray if I don't know the right thing to pray for? All right, let's read it. The Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We don't know what to pray for as we should, as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession. What's the word intercession mean? Pray for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Tell me, all right, verse 26. Tell me what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. He is praying for me. And he's praying for you. Now, how many of you think God Almighty can get his prayers answered? All right, let's read it. Verse 27. He who searches the hearts, which is God the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he, the Spirit, prays for us according to the will of God. You got it? Dear ones, the Holy Spirit of God goes before God Almighty on your behalf and prays the exact best plan for your life. Now, I have people all the time say they pray for me. I love it when people pray for me. Uh, a week or two ago, I got a neighbor that lives near me, doesn't even go to my church, but he's just a wonderful guy. I saw him at, the, at a graveside a couple weeks ago. We were leaving. He said, boy, I want you to know something. Me and Linda here, we pray for you every night. I, listen, that blesses my heart. I think God answers prayer. I think the devil in hell get in your head and say that didn't work. Listen, this book's true. Call on me, I will answer you. But you know who I really like praying for me? This guy's got clout right here. I like it when the Holy Spirit tells me right here, I'm here to help you. You don't even know what to ask for. Let me do the praying for you. That doesn't mean I can't pray. It doesn't say, it says we intercede with me. I'm gonna pray. I don't know how to pray for my children. I don't know how to pray for myself. Pray for my dear wife. She needs help. She's married to me. I don't understand all this stuff. Dear ones, I got the Holy Spirit of God standing right beside me saying, Father, what he really means is this. This is the picture of what God is doing in the earth right now. All right, now let me ask you a question. According to scripture, if the Holy Spirit of God, if I were to pray and the Holy Spirit of God were to join with me in there, what would happen in my life? Now, a lot of people take this next verse out of context. You can't have this verse without the two we just read. Let's read it. Verse 28. And then we know all things work together for good because we love God and we want his purpose. You ever heard anybody quote that verse? All things work together for good. No, they don't. You have to pray and the Holy Spirit's got to intercede with you. And then they do. All right, this verse is, uh, it's not written the best according to the original language. Let me quote it to you out of the original language. We know that God is working to cause all things to work together for good because we love him. We're called according to his purpose. Not all things are good. Number 19 is not good. It will be stricken from the math table after this year. My mistakes are not good. Violence is not good. Prejudice is not good. Hatred is not good. But God can work in the middle of this mess and cause everything to work out for good. Are you with me? And when does he do it? Because the Holy Spirit's interceding for me. All right, tell me what, now we, we ask, what, what is God doing? The Holy Spirit's praying. Tell me what God's doing in the earth right now, according to verse 28. Is he working? Right there it is. What's he doing? He's working in our stinking mess that we created to cause good to come out of it. He's working together for good. Let's go a little further. Four, verse 29 says four. All right, we're fixing to go way back before time began. Bible's fixing to take you before history began. Four, whom God foreknew, let's freeze right there. I maybe think that's you. 
And maybe think that God Almighty had foreknowledge of you before you were born. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, before I knit you in the womb, I knew you. My little mind can't fathom this stuff. I've just got to take his word for it. You know why it's not? It's not a big deal because his big mind can't handle it. I cannot understand how that before time began, he knew me. He saw me. Psalm 139 said he knit me. He knew everything I'd say. All my days were written in the book. Before he ever said, let there be light. He looked, before he ever said, let there be light. He looked out through history. He saw you. Whom he foreknew. I watch this. Verse 329. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Don't get hung up on predestination. Just read what the Bible says. You know what it means? Before you were ever born, he's thinking about some things for you. Pre, what does destined mean? Planned. He had a destiny for you. You had a destiny before your mom ever met your daddy in the mind of God. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. I did this uh, when I found out that we were, well, we weren't pregnant. One of us was. My wife was pregnant. Well, the first time she told me she was pregnant, I was so excited because I love them babies. And I think babies are fun. And, uh, I, you know, I was so excited. Of course, you know, being a man, especially a cowboy, you try to sort of restrain yourself and look sophisticated now. I was so excited. And you know what I would do? I predestined some things for those children. I dreamed of the day me and them boy or girl. It doesn't matter, boy or girl, neither one to me. I can shoot them all. I can teach them all to shoot straight. It doesn't matter to me. I dreamed of us sitting on the back of the pickup truck fishing for brim when they were young. I dreamed of us fighting those waves in the ocean, shark fishing. I dreamed of us having, I dreamed of us riding them horses together. And they wasn't even, I didn't even seen them yet. But I was planning on some things. We're going to have a large time when they get here. That's what it means. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. He was dreaming of things about you before you was ever born. You didn't even know he was watching because you didn't exist. But he predestined you. All right, you got this. Watch the order. He foreknew you, then he predestined you. All right, let me make an announcement. God is good. I should get more than three amens out of that. God is good. You know what I mean by that? He did not predestine you to fail. He did not predestine you to suffer. He did not predestine you to screw up. How many of you before you had children laid awake at night and thought, I hope they get on drugs. I hope they have the most miserable lives. I hope they become drunks. You say, what kind of fool are you? Why would we think God Almighty would not be as good as we are? He plans nothing but good. The Lord is good. You say, well, how come so much stuff has happened? But I'm going to answer it and it's going to be simple. I did everything I could for my children, but they've done a few dumb things along the way. That wasn't my doings. But even if they'd come to me, I'd straighten it out. Good father plans good things. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Let's follow a little further. To be conformed to the image of his son that Jesus might be the first of a bunch of us. Among all the things he's planned for you, he planned before time began, he planned for me and my wife to be married. I know he did. She don't appreciate it, but I'm thrilled with it. I know he did. <laughs> he, he planned things, but the primary thing he planned for me above everything else, according to that verse, what is it? That I would love people like Jesus loves people. That I would have the joy of Jesus inside of me. 
That's why Jesus said, my joy, I give it to you. That I would have the peace, I would live in the peace of Jesus and people would see it so that when a storm comes, I can sleep through the boat, sleep in the boat through the middle of it. He, he predestined me to show this world what Jesus looks like because I get to enjoy being like him. Now, did, let me make an announcement. He did not predestine me to be religious. Preachers lied to me in the early days, but I found out that won't Jesus. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And he created me to be free. He, listen, he predestined us. He, you ever just, I got, I got, I got to go. I'm sorry, I got to go. Um, all right, you got it. The Bible said he knew you. He dreamed of things for you. Primarily that you would enjoy the life and love of Jesus and show people the spirit of God. All righty. Now let's, let's go through the steps here. Verse 30. Here's, here's what's happened in your life right here. This is your life. Verse 30. Whom he predestined, he called. How many of you he's called? I said, he didn't call me. I just picked up a Bible, started looking for him one day. No, you did not. You say, yes, I did. You wasn't there. Yes, I was. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter three. There is none who seeks after God. No, not one. Not one person has ever looked for God or prayed a prayer on their own initiative. John 8, 44 says this. Nobody looks to me unless the Father is in them, drawing them to me. If it ever crossed your mind, I wonder if this God stuff is real. He put that in there. If it ever crossed your mind to go to a church or to open a Bible, he did that. The Bible says that whom he predestined, he called. All right, I'm a, I'm a wicked guy who didn't want nothing to do with God, ran from him, didn't like being around his people. <clears throat> All right, and all of a sudden I find myself one night, he set me up. I find myself up on Car Lake, Bugs Island, and the guy says, we, gonna, we got a movie show tonight out here in the screen area, come watch it. He said, it's about a motorcycle guy. And I thought, I like motorcycle guys. So I went out there and watched it and he, that guy lied to me. Well, there was a motorcycle guy in there, but he didn't tell me the whole truth. God set me up. I sat down on the back row, watched that thing. And there's this guy, he was a, a outlaw biker and he was pretty good. All of a sudden his life falls apart and some country preacher shows up that loves him. And the guy gets saved, changed his life. And I thought, hmm. And then all of a sudden something came over me that I still can't describe. It's like depression or heaviness and before they even turned the lights on, I just got up, walked out the back door and walked out in the woods. And for two hours, I walked in those woods. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I thought, have you finally lost your mind? That counselor said you're going to do it. After a couple hours, I went to the guy who was running things, woke him up in his cabin. It was about midnight. I woke him up and I said, something's wrong with me. I don't understand what's going on. He said, son, God is speaking to you. I said, what do you mean, God? He said, this is called Conviction. He said, God's calling you to himself. I said, what do I do? He said, ask him to forgive you and accept him as your savior. Well, I've, I'd already figured out in two hours, he'll whoop you. I got out, there was a school bus. There. I got down on that bumper and asked God to forgive me. And the weight of the world was lifted off me. It was like a river washed through me. And I got up from there. I didn't want to hit nobody or hurt nobody no more. You know what happened? He called me. So mine wasn't like that. I just decided to get saved. It doesn't matter whether it's dramatic. Billy Graham, greatest preacher ever lived, Billy Graham said, I didn't feel a thing. I just knew I needed Jesus. So I got up out of my chair and walked down to the front and accepted him as my savior. God called him. Then was listening to me. If you're a child of God, he called you first. You can't come to him unless he calls you to himself. 
This stuff would seem just totally stupid to you unless God had called you. He was working in you. So you got it. He has predestined you. He's got plans for you. Then he calls you. Let's go a little further here. All right, verse 30. Whom he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, he did. What did he do next after he called me? What did he do? He justified you. You're looking at a man who has been declared not guilty in heaven's court. Now justified, some people use the phrase, it's just as if I'd never sinned. No, it's more than that. I did sin. I was a terrible sinner and his son took all my penalty at the cross and I am free. The moment I said, forgive me of my sins, Jesus is my Lord, my sins were wiped out. The Bible said this in in Romans, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. I mean, you got a rap sheet. I didn't, I meant sins. I didn't mean Alamance County. (laughs) Well, I got one on both sides. I had a rap sheet in heaven. We all did. You know how I know you got one? Because all have sinned. And there's a list of my sins, every single one of them for all the years. Guess where the Bible says they are in the book of Romans. There's one thing wrong with these pictures we have of Jesus on the cross. You know what's wrong with them? There's one thing wrong with them. There's nothing in his hand. The Bible says he took the handwriting of requirements, the list of sins against it, and has taken it to the cross, having nailed it to the cross. If you painted an accurate picture of the cross, an accurate picture, you would see Jesus nailed to the cross. You'd see the spike in one of his hands, but you'd see a slip of paper or a list or whatever in his hand. That's my sins. And that's why the great songs says, my sins not in part, but the whole have been nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That's what justified means. It means I am perfectly just in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did. I might think I'm not smart, not great, not perfect. Satan lies about my past. I'll talk to him about his future. But in the mind of God, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Justified means I've washed it away. All right, we're not done yet. We've got one more. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he also, what? Glorified. The moment you accepted Jesus, your Savior, he started working in your life. To do what? Slowly, slowly. The Bible says little bit by little bit, he's working in your life to make you glorious. There's going to come a day you're going to see Jesus face to face. You're going to be just like him in every respect. Now, as my preacher buddy used to say out in the country in Souther City, well, I know I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Can I get a witness? We're all headed there. Dear ones, I'm not near the evil soul I used to be, and I'm not as good as I'm going to be someday. Guess what God's doing? Tell me what God is doing right now, according to the Bible. He is working in me and you. And what's his goal? They will look just like my son when I'm finished. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't try to help him. The flesh profits nothing. Only the spirit can give holy life. You just follow Jesus. Let Jesus do the shining up. This business, of, let me tell you what a lot of Christianity has become. Just behavior modification by condemnation. I'll beat you up. You try to do better. What's the Bible teach? Who does the glorifying? He glorifies them. The same one that saved you is the one that will straighten you out if you'll just chase him. This is a whole lot better than trying hard, isn't it? All right, so that's what he's doing right there. Now I want you to look with me and let's answer a question. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Well, a lot of people break this verse off. Verse 31 is pointing back up to the previous verses. God Almighty, listen to me. God Almighty knew me before time began. 
He loved me with everlasting love. He ran me down beside that lake. He made me a perfect, he saved me, made me perfect on record there. He's been working in me. What do I say about these things? Guess what I say about these things? Yeah, that's what I said. Well, I don't think that's what they say there, but I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. All right, here's what we say. Look at verse 31. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What does it say right there? Then listen to me. If you tell me, Brother Brown, I'm trying to do better, I'm going to say, good luck. If you tell me God is for me and he's working me, I'm going to say, watch this. We need to put faith in God and quit putting it in ourselves and trust him. Let me make an announcement. The creator of this universe is on your side. I want you to memorize Romans 8, 31. One of your verses you need to memorize and hold on to. And just memorize half of it if you can't get the whole thing. If God is for us, who can be against us? An unholy spirit of religion gets in people's heads and tells them God is so disgusted with the way you've been. I don't see that anywhere in here. Listen to me. He knew me before he called me. He knew what I'd be. I want to make an announcement and see if you, you can argue with me if you want to, but you'll be wrong. I've heard people say over and over again, I have so disappointed God. Listen to me. You have never disappointed God one time, ever. To disappoint somebody, you have to surprise them. He has never been surprised at anything in his life. Look right here, look right here. He wrote the book of Revelation. He knows everything till it's over. You see, you mean he loved me knowing I'd be like this? You hadn't even scratched the surface yet. I've never disappointed him. I've had him have to get out his switch once in a while, but he knew what a mess I was for. He got me and loved me anyway. Once in a while, my wife will roll her eyes and I'd say, you, you hung around me for two years before we got married. You knew what you was getting. God knew what he was getting before he hollered for you. I read the Bible, for, I think first, maybe second time I read through the New Testament and I said, you sure did pick a bunch of weird people to hang around you in here. He smiled and said, yeah, I did, didn't I? Have you ever noticed the kind of people he chose to hang around him? I did not come to call the righteous sinners to myself. Come to me. Praise God in his goodness and grace. All right, we're fixing to go in the courtroom here. I'm going to show you one of the greatest truths in all the world. I want you to register this truth. If this truth ever gets in your heart, you'll pray with such confidence and boldness. And it's verse 32 of Romans 8, which says this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You get that in your heart. Let me, let me paint a picture. I have one son that I love dearly. Before he was born, I predestined him. I predestined that he'd be a Wolfpack fan. He ended up going there. I predestined that he'd be an outdoorsman. He is. I predestined we'd have some great times hunting and fishing. He is. I predestined he'd obey his mama. I saw all of that. I dreamed about things. With him. I love my son. I love my boy dearly. He's, he's grown now and moved away. There's not a person on this planet that I would drag him out my back door for and nail him to that oak tree in my backyard hoping I could help them. I love you, but I don't love you that much. But let me ask you this. If I were to love you that much that I would nail that boy that I love so much to that tree, you don't think I'd pay your power bill. Amen. If I'm going to give you the dearest thing in the world to me, I will give you a couple hundred dollars. 
He has already given you the greatest thing that is dearest to his heart. You don't think he'll give you the other stuff. He who spared not his own son, you don't think he'll give you everything else. He is not a stingy, tightwad, stodgy God. He is most generous. And he proved it at the cross. He gave you the best he had at the cross. He'll give you everything else too. We need to start, we need a, more than anything else, we need a heart revelation of the goodness of our great God and the compassion of the Lord. You don't kill your son for somebody and not think much of him. All right, this, this, I want you to memorize. I want you to get verse 32. Memorize that one also and hang on to it. That's why I want you, listen, it is important the enemy of your soul comes along and beats your head up and puts junk in your head. That's why we go back to these anchor passages and read them over and over and over and get them down in our hearts so that when you begin to pray for your child and this thought comes into your mind, what if it don't work? Then you can say boldly, he nailed his son to a cross for me. He will give me my children. That's why we do these anchor passages to go over them over and over like that. All right, let's go in the courtroom. Now we're going to shift gears here. We're fixing to go into the courtroom. How many of you know what a courtroom is? How many of you ever been there? Not as an observer. All right. <clears throat> There's four things you have to have to have a courtroom. Are you with me? What's the four things you have to have? Every courtroom has four things. You have to have a judge. You have to have the accused or the defendant. You have to have the defendant's attorney or defender who's taking care of them. And then you have to have a, no, you don't have to have a reporter. You have to have a prosecutor. If you don't have all, you got all four of those things to have a court. You got to have a judge, somebody that's been accused, somebody to defend them. Then you have to have a prosecutor to bring the charges. God's fixing to paint the picture. You have the courtroom of life and eternity in heaven here. Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. What does it mean? Who should, by the way, who are God's elect? You're not trying to get in. He chose you before you chose him. Elect means God's chosen ones. All right. How many of you think there might be somebody to criticize and condemn and bring a charge against God's people? You listen to me. When you get those thoughts in your head, that's not God. Can't be. What does that verse say? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies or declares them not guilty. Dear ones, God doesn't beat me up. He's the one declaring me not guilty. I, you, I've been in court a lot of times, a few, few times on my own. I've been in court. And uh, like you've got to defend it. The judge doesn't sit there and, and scream and fuss at the defendant. His job is to listen and to declare them one way or the other. What does the Bible say? God has declared me not guilty. Well, then who is this that beats me up and makes me feel so bad and condemns me and tells me what a sorry, no count, low down, dirty, who is that? Who, what does it say? Let's read it again. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? You want to find out? Hold your finger, turn to Romans chapter 12. Guess who it is in my head that's beating a pudding out of me? Let's see if we can find somebody in here. All right. I heard verse, Revelation 12, verse 10. By the way, before we read it, y'all know what Revelation is, don't you? It's where God shows you things nobody else can see. 
Verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength, the kingdom of God has come, the power of his Christ has come because the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. What is the Bible? By the way, this is talking about the dragon. If you want to read the rest of the passage, this is Satan. Tell me what Satan does. Somebody tell me what he's doing. Now we know what Jesus, the Holy Spirit's praying right now. The Father's working right now. What's Satan doing right now? He accuses them before God. How often? What does it say? Day and night. Dear ones, God is not the one that beats people up. The accuser of the brethren is standing there screaming. They shouldn't be saved. You don't know what they've done. They don't deserve your goodness. Let me tell you what they did last week. Let me tell you what they did last year. Let me tell you what they did in those 25. That's his job is to stand there and do what? Accuse day and night. He not only accuses you before God, you can hear him in your head. I'm not talking about words. I'm talking about feelings and thoughts. He's the accuser of the brethren. All right, back to Romans chapter eight. The Bible says this, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I love this. We're in the courtroom here. Uh, I'm on the stand. I'm the one on trial. And uh, the father, he's sitting there. He's the one has got to decide, am I guilty or not guilty? Heaven, hell, blessing, curse. He's the one who gets to decide. And the enemy of my soul is over and he is blistering me. He's puking out every dirty thing I ever did. He's, he's bringing to light every dirty thought I ever had. He's telling every crooked deal. And finally he pauses and my attorney over here, he just raises up a hand with a hole in it. And the father says, not guilty. This is heaven's court right here. There was the enemy of your soul will come disguised as an angel of righteousness. You'll think it's God beating you up. Who is he who condemns? It's not him. Let's read the last verse. One more verse here in the courtroom. Who is he who condemns? How many ever, how many ever just felt bad about things you'd done? Couldn't have been God. Let's watch what Jesus is doing. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, who furthermore is also at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. What's another name for my lawyer? My intercessor. Here's heaven's court. God Almighty is the judge. I am the one on trial. Satan is the one who's beat wearing me out over there. Jesus is my attorney who steps in for me. All right. In case you're wondering where Jesus is, Jesus left the earth back about 33 AD. Somebody tell me where Jesus is right now. Read that verse. Let's read this verse. Here's where Jesus is right now. Who is he who condemns? Christ died, furthermore is. What's the word is means? That present tense. Is even at the right hand of God doing what? Praying for me. Tell me what Jesus Christ is doing right now. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. Dear ones, you don't pray for somebody and beat them up at the same time. All right, you tell me what Jesus is doing in the earth right now. Or he's right hand of the Father. He's praying for you and me. How many of you think he might get his prayers answered? If I got in trouble, I'd ask you to pray for me. But I'll tell you, I believe between me and you, and I appreciate it. Between me and you, I'd call him first. Let's wrap this up. Oh, I love this. <clears throat> Makes intercession. All right, now listen to me. He just went, he just showed you a picture of what God Almighty is doing. He's working in your life to make you beautiful, declaring you not guilty. The Holy Spirit is talking to you and helping you if you'll let him. Jesus is praying for you. And then here's the conclusion. Here's what we draw out of it. 
Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What can take you away from the very love of Jesus? And then he gives a list. Tough times, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, yada, yada. Here's the whole list. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who, was it say, loved us. Then was listen to me. God is not going to be good to you, declare you not guilty, bless you, show you kindness because you're, you've got to where you can behave. He is going to do it because he loves you. Everything he does is born in compassion. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 16 that says this, let everything you do be done out of love. You don't think he'd tell you to do something he doesn't do, would you? It was everything's born out of love. Here's the great verse. Let's go a little further here. Verse 38, I am persuaded. I right, stop right there. That's what I'm trying to do for you today. I don't want you to think. I don't want you to hope. I want you to get it down in your souls. This is an anchor for your souls. I am persuaded. Death, life, angels, demons, nothing now, nothing to come. Depth, hide any other created thing. Nothing is going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to have a, such a confidence in how much God loves you that when the enemy of your soul starts bringing up junk, you, you just, instead of saying, well, I, I was young then. I, I was drunk then. I wasn't paying, well, I'm going to say that. I wasn't paying attention then. I you just need to stand up and say, nothing you can stay is going to stop him from loving me. You cannot separate me from the love of God. Try all you want to. Run your mouth, sap sucker. Well, maybe leave out the sap sucker. <laughs> Listen, there is nothing that can stop God from loving me and being good to me. He was loving me when I was cursing his name. Guess what now? All right. This is called an anchor passage. I've read this over. I get excited reading this. This may be the 600th time I've read it. Guess why? I don't read it to learn theological truth. I read this to bless my heart. And you need to get passages like this. These are anchor passages. I want to show you one more verse to go with this. And I want this to bless you. I want you to turn with Isaiah chapter 49. And I'm fixing to have some fun at the expense of preachers. Isaiah chapter 49. We need to make, uh, we need to make the 18 inch journey. Y'all know what the 18 inch journey is? That's when you have got in your, you got something in your head, you need to get it in your heart. It's like the, a professor of loveology who writes a book on romantic love, but he ain't never been kissed in his life. <laughs> Terrible illustration, but it's going to work. He might be able to explain love ever which way. He might be able to explain it in nine languages and tell you what kind of chemicals explode in your brain when it happens. But if he ain't never been kissed, he don't know squat. I can't explain it, but I've been there, Doc. I mean, I'm in love with the world's most beautiful woman and we kiss every day just to be faithful to the scriptures. <laughs> you may be able to explain it, but he ain't never experienced it. Dear ones, I don't want you to just know that God loves you in your head. I want you to feel it in your heart. I want the love of God to be poured out in your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's his job. So you can read it in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit puts it in your heart, and makes it real. He lets you feel what you read here. All right, I want you to get a picture that there is nothing I can do to separate me from the love of God. And I've had people that were dumb say this to me. Well, if he's going to love you like that, why live this? Why not live like hell? Same reason I don't run around on my wife. 
When somebody loves you like that, that's the last thing in the world you want to do to them. There was the love of God. I'm not scared. The love of God constraineth me. I want to honor God because that man been good to me and he loves me. All righty. I heard a preacher on the radio the other day and he was fussing about tattoos. Y'all know what a tattoo is. He was fussing about tattoos, about how God leaves Christians trying to wear tattoos now, yada, 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 yada. And I thought, go get you a job driving a bus. All there is to do in this earth and you fussing about tattoos. I wish I'd have known his number. I'd have called him and I said, I'd have said, God's got a tattoo. That went over good in here, didn't it? Fine. That's why we turn to Romans, Isaiah 49. Watch verse Isaiah chapter 49, verse 50. Read with me Isaiah 49, 15. Let's ask this question. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Stop right there. Yeah or nay? My wife was born to be a mama. Do you think that my, like when my son was born, do you think that like five, six months old, she just laid him down somewhere and forgot he ever existed? I mean, think, is that dumb or what? He's asking, do you think a woman can forget the child that she loves so much? Let's read the rest of it there. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have a tender heart on the son of her womb? Is it, I mean, I've known some women that got on drugs and had to give their children up, but they still didn't forget them. They did it with an aching heart because it was good for the child. Can a woman bear a child and love that child and nurse that child and then just lay it down somewhere and forget she ever had it? What's the answer? It's a possibility. Let's read it. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have a tender heart toward the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. What does the Bible say? It could happen. I don't see how, but he said it might happen. Watch this. Yet I will not forget you. What do you say right there? These mothers will forget their babies before I'll forget about you. A mother will forget she's got a child before I'll ever forget about you. You say, why is that, why is that mother so obsessed with that baby? Somebody tell me the answer. God so loved the world, mama so loves her baby. Mamas love their babies. Can I get a witness? Hell, there's no, out of Shakespeare, hell knows no fury like a woman scorned. Ha, hogwash. Hell knows no fury like a mama, you mess with her babies. Can I get a witness? I've seen mild-mannered women become, become a Dracula when you mess with their babies. What's this? He said, can a woman forget her child? He said, it might be possible, but I'll never forget about you. We have yet to understand how dear we are to the heart of God. And let me show you how he's going to prove it right here. Watch with me. Verse 16. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Somebody tell me what the Hebrew word for inscribed means. Tattoo. (laughs) You thought I was kidding, didn't you? Right there it is. God said, I have tattooed you. God's got a tattoo. If you, if you used to go to heaven right now, look on Jesus' arm. There's a tattoo right there. It's a heart. Guess what it says? Jesus loves Brian. Am I making this up? He said, I'll never forget. He said, a mother might forget her child. I'll never forget you. I have tattooed you on the palm of my hand. All right, if you write something with chalk, guess what? Coming off. Write it with pencil and be erased. Tell me what you know about tattoos. They will be there tomorrow. 
What is it? Why does he say I have inscribed, tattooed, same thing? Why do he say that? He wants you to know it's not coming off. It's not coming away from there. I want you to look back with me. What's the first word in verse 16? Is it C? Does it say C? You know what God just did? He rolled up his sleeve. He said, look at my tattoo. See, I want you to see my tattoo. Guess who it is? I don't know whether it's your name or your face or your not or what it is, but it's you. Once in a while, somebody said to me, it said, you you don't believe in them tattoos, do you? And I said, yeah, I believe in them. I've seen them. So you don't have one. I said, yeah. I said, look, look look right here. And I'll just pull up my, I said, look right there. I figured since, since he tattooed me on his hand, I ought to tattoo him on my arm. What do you reckon? And I'll 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 say, see, see right there. You know what this, look God, he's saying, look here. I have tattooed you on my palm. Your mama might forget you, but I'll never forget you. So much of this Bible is so we can get a deep heart revelation of the tender love of God for his people. And let's finish one more, end of that verse. I tattooed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That don't make sense to us because we don't do walls. He was talking about the walls of Jerusalem. Literally, the condition of your life is always in front of me. My eyes are always on the condition of your life. Listen, you are tattooed, never to be removed. And I'm always aware of what's going on in your life. So many scriptures in this Bible teach us about how God is aware of us. Let me just give you one. And a lot of people have misunderstood this one. When he talks about you don't need to worry, he feeds the sparrows, he'll take care of you. And then he said this after that. He said, the hairs of your head are numbered. Now, many people misinterpret that to think that he knows the number. That's not what it said. Typical, not me, but the typical young person has about how many hairs on her head? What's the average young person have on their head? 20,000, about 20,000. I counted them one day. Actually, I looked at it. I Googled that. <laughs> a young person with a healthy head has got about 20,000 hairs. That doesn't mean that God knows that you've got 21,756. You know what that means? It says he numbered the hairs. You could reach up, look in the mirror, reach up, pull out one hair and hold it up. And he'd tell you that's number 9,562. Why would he put that in the Bible? He wants you to know how close he is and how aware he is of what's going on in your life. A man that can tell me the number of every hair on my head knows what's going on in my heart. And he will be there. Dear ones, we need place, we need anchors for our soul that we go back and read again and again and again. It's not knowing it. It's letting God speak to your heart. And we got to let this guy, this guy, this Holy Spirit of God, we got to slow down, open these books and say, come talk to me. Come speak to, please come speak to me through your word. And then we got to read passages like Romans chapter eight and let him touch our hearts with them. That is the anchor for our souls. Amen or oh me. All right. I want to suggest uh, several tattoo shops you can go to. You can get, I love my preacher. It doesn't matter to me what you get on there. Lord Jesus, I love you. I praise you and thank you so much. It was never about me trying to be a better person. What a joke. It was never about you needing me to serve you. That's another joke. It was about a mother's love for her child as a father has a tender heart toward his children. So the Lord has a tender heart toward those who honor him and fear him. I want to praise you and thank you for your goodness today. Thank you for communion that we get to just 
We are forgiven, cleansed, washed, made perfect, blessed, given your spirit, given eternal life, given abundant life, all because we could drink the blood of Jesus and taste his flesh by a simple act of faith. What a deal. All of the blessings of this life and eternity just for receiving what Jesus did. Thank you for that. I want to pray for every person in this room. Father, we're, we live in information age and we are overloaded, but our hearts are suffering. And more than we need more information, we need courage and hope and encouragement and strength and the joy of the Lord. I praise you and place you that there is a place we can go to and open your word and get along with you and say, tell me how much you love me. Talk to me by your spirit through this word and you will strengthen our hearts. I pray for every person through these weeks as we do these anchor passages, you would teach them how to get along with you and let God speak to them and enjoy fellowship with the Father. I trust you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks.